Hello, everyone. Welcome to Conscious Design. This is your host, Ian Peterman, author of the Conscious Design book. And today I have with me Naresh Kumar, head of sustainability for Fly Zero. They're working on how to reduce emissions in our flying that we all do. Uh, he had a career in engineering through in aerospace, working a lot with Rolls-Royce. And your focus has been on sustainability and climate change for for a good portion of that. So welcome, welcome to the show. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, well, this is this is exciting for me because I, I love airplanes and flying <laughs> and know that it's a big area of impact, right? In in CO2 emissions and it's a huge yeah. area that we can focus on. Uh, taking a little bit of step back though, I briefly mentioned you, you're, you've worked in engineering for a long time in, in aerospace with that sustainability focus. Could you yeah. give a, the brief history of how how did you get here and what, what really drove you into looking at the sustainability and climate change side to the aerospace industry? Sure. Um, so I uh, joined the Fly Zero project uh, at uh, the beginning of the project, um, and the project started in January last year, uh, 2021, um, with a very specific remit, uh, which was to uh, deliver zero carbon uh, emissions uh, aircraft that could enter the marketplace uh, by uh, the 2030 time frame. Now, my personal uh, background and within the project, uh, I, I have been head of sustainability uh, from the beginning, uh, which uh, has been a privilege. Um, and this challenge uh, is, uh, is, is quite a formidable challenge, um, as you can imagine, um, with aviation uh, as a sector uh, which is recognized uh, globally as one of the hardest to decarbonize. Uh, and that's related uh, to the fact that you need a high energy uh, density fuel to be able to provide the power um, to the airplanes in which uh, many of us uh, uh, fly for business, pleasure, and uh, meeting family and visiting friends. Uh, so my career um, in aeronautical engineering started um, uh, in the United Kingdom, uh, having graduated in the subject, and then spent um, a fair chunk of my career looking into manufacturing um, and uh, uh, various uh, different roles. Uh, but the most relevant role um, that uh, I brought to this project uh, was one where I was responsible as chief of environmental technology, uh, working for Rolls-Royce gas turbines, uh, where uh, I had um, responsibility uh, for um, delivering um, the uh, emissions reductions um, from uh, aircraft um, and working across the sector on making sure that the decarbonization um, of aircraft in service and their operations uh, was handled to the best of everyone's ability. Um, so it was, um, it was a privilege to join the project at the beginning of last year. 
Uh, and I must say, um, we have uh, achieved a huge amount in that regard over the last 15 months, which I'm happy to explain a little bit more. Yeah, well, that that's a, sounds like a perfect career setup for you, having worked in sustainability, uh, that that lens from Rolls-Royce and, and being able to, to look at things and then be able to bring that to fly zero and be able to, it sounds like, accelerate what what you you were doing in in because zero zero is a very low number for for flight <laughs> um it's like you said it's a, it's such a huge it's a high density energy density required which is a unique yeah. challenge i've i've talked to people in you know the sailing world of you know container ships and and that's fairly you know quote unquote simple because old technology sails work still or the wind didn't stop blowing but with airplanes you're you're in a whole new realm there's not you know there's no old tech that i know of and maybe maybe you have have some that has come up but there's nothing that i can think of that's a, like an easy oh we've done this before in a different you know in a relatable way so what as you you guys are working through the last 15 months kind of what is your because what have you been working on? What, what have you been able to identify as, as possible? Because 2030 is, is just not that far away now. <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah. So let me, let me explain the, uh, the, the scope of the project. So we looked at the, the bulk of the aviation market where the majority of the emissions are generated um, by aircraft. Um, so we were looking at um, the segments of the market that cover regional aircraft, uh, narrow-body aircraft, or single-aisle aircraft, as some people describe them, uh, which includes sort of mid-size aircraft. Now, mm -hmm. the addition of all of those three segments um, amounts to uh, over 90% uh, of uh, global emissions um, um, and, and global uh, passenger kilometers um, that uh, mm -hmm. um, uh, people uh, do um, across the planet. Um, and um, uh, the total um, global aviations from, avia uh, from, from the sector in 2019, pre-pandemic, um, uh, when the markets were uh, normal, um, right. amounted to about 920 million tons of CO2. Um, yeah. And um, for every uh, kilogram of uh, kerosene uh, aviation fuel that is burnt, you generate about 3.15 kilograms of carbon dioxide. So the amount of um, uh, kerosene uh, aviation burnt in 2019 amounted to about 330 million tons. So that's quite a lot of fossil fuel. Uh, so the challenge for us was to see um, um, what alternative zero carbon fuels uh, could, could be evaluated uh, that would eliminate uh, the bulk of those tailpipe emissions from the aircraft. And we have to recognize that uh, there will still be uh, some energy that's used for manufacturing the airplanes uh, and all the components, uh, the materials, uh, the right. processing. Uh, but all of that adds up to um, a very small amount compared to the amount of emissions generated 
from the use of the aircraft in service. And we're talking about um, the order of one, one to 2%. Um, okay. so, it's, so, so that aspect is uh, quite small. Nonetheless, we did look into the full life cycle analysis and we looked at how we could reduce the carbon footprint further uh, for that element. So when we look at uh, tailpipe emissions uh, from aircraft, um, people have looked into alternative fuels. Uh, the biggest um, momentum uh, in the past uh, decade uh, has been uh, to develop sustainable aviation fuels. So these are alternative fuels uh, which are made from biofeedstocks uh, and indeed synthetic fuels uh, which can be manufactured uh, using uh, hydrogen and extracting carbon uh, from the atmosphere, uh, either from industry or direct air capture uh, from the air, as some people are already starting to do now. Uh, but mm. uh, that, that, that would still mean that you're creating a liquid fuel uh, as a replacement of uh, fossil kerosene, which is distilled from crude oil. Uh, so there are advantages in that the net carbon uh, benefit from biofeedstocks uh, and power to liquid type of synthetic fuels uh, can be a lot better, uh, but you're still emitting tailpipe emissions uh, at, the, at the end of the day. Um, but recognizing right. that the carbon is captured somewhere else uh, during the manufacturing process of those uh, sustainable aviation fuels. So our challenge was to look for uh, fundamental alternatives that would actually um, mm. be based on zero carbon fuels. So we one, one of the earliest things that we did in the project was to look at uh, what alternative fuels could be viable. Uh, we looked at um, gaseous hydrogen, we looked at batteries, we looked at liquid hydrogen, uh, we looked at ammonia, um, and we were conscious that we needed to actually come up with a solution that would be better than sustainable aviation fuels, uh, as well as uh, jet kerosene uh, in the uh, in the medium to long term. And I'm very right. pleased to say that um, the uh, analysis that the Fly Zero team did uh, came to um, a conclusion that the uh, highest prospects um, um, were provided um, by the potential use of liquid hydrogen um, for all of those yes. three class of aircraft that I described earlier, the regional, the, the uh, narrow body and the mid-size type of aircraft. Now the propulsion systems would be uh, different from today. Uh, so for the right. regional smaller aircraft that would carry um, around, um, let me give you the exact figures. We've, we actually spent um, a lot of time um, uh, doing the engineering work um, to come up with uh, three specific concepts where technologies could uh, deliver uh, this zero carbon uh, oh, emissions. And on the regional, um, we've um, put together concepts and these are all um, detailed in the fly zero reports which can be downloaded from the aerospace technologies institute website um, and the regional will enable 75 passengers um, to travel uh, up to around 800 nautical miles 
So that is actually um, equivalent um, to current regional uh, aircraft. Um, Amazing. So no... this, is, this is using liquid hydrogen, powering a fuel cell uh, with propellers uh, on the wings, uh, which are electrically driven. Um, uh, hydrogen to electric is most efficient. From it's what you're... very efficient. It's very Amazing. efficient through a fuel cell. And, and I can tell you that the from a sustainability perspective, fuel cells are very, very clean. The only byproduct from fuel cells is water. Uh, there is no oxides of nitrogen uh, or any other emissions emanating from fuel cells. So this is probably one of the cleanest uh, solutions um, that uh, the industry could benefit from. Yeah, I think um, it's, isn't it Toyota? Toyota is doing a lot of fuel cells. Toyota or Honda is is working on fuel cells because they because because of how efficient it is, actually. Yeah, absolutely. So so fuel cells at a smaller scale um, are being developed by the uh, automotive uh, industry, uh, right. but the fuel cells that we're talking about for aviation are much more sophisticated. Um, they will be mm -hmm. able to generate uh, much more power uh, that is needed by aircraft um, right. and liquid hydrogen as a fuel uh, can uh, provide those kinds of things. Um, Land-based transport fuel cells can, can be operated using other types of fuels, uh, not just hydrogen. Um, okay. So uh, coming on to the narrow body and the midsize, um, again, for the narrow body, um, we've put together a concept which will enable 179 passengers to travel up to 2,400 nautical miles. Again, so these are sort of uh, the type of jets that uh, take uh, a lot of us on our local holidays. Local <laughs> meaning sort of, you know, if you, take, if, you, if you take North America, you know, you can go from sort of uh, one side of the, uh, the country to the other. If, you, if you're talking about Europe, uh, you can go from one nation like the United Kingdom all the way to the Mediterranean destinations and beyond. Um, so Amazing. this is the bulk course of uh, passenger kilometers uh, that aviation right. uh, conducts. Uh, and the beauty of the, um, uh, this one is that uh, working on uh, liquid hydrogen, um, you won't have any tailpipe emissions. Um, um, our engineering teams have evaluated and estimated that uh, NOx, oxides of nitrogen type of emissions could be reduced by 50 to 70% compared to today's technology. Uh, and again, oh, wow. uh, you, because there's no carbon in the fuel, you're not going to get uh, much particulate matter. Uh, so it's good for uh, air quality. Uh, and you're not going to get any sulfur oxides because there's no sulfur in the fuel. Um, we've had uh, independent uh, assessments done on the configurations in terms of noise assessments. Um, and those assessments tell us that these aircraft concepts will be competitive on noise compared to future aircrafts that are likely to enter the, enter the market. Now, the really fantastic news is that the mid-size aircraft, which is even bigger, uh, <laughs> yeah. will enable, enable about 279 people to be carried uh, and a distance of about 5,750 nautical miles. So that's from 
the UK to New York to Los Angeles, from the UK all the way to Hong Kong, um, certainly the Middle East. Mm. So with one stop, you could circumnavigate uh, the entire globe. So this is really, really good news uh, that such aircraft, such aircraft could come into service um, and uh, provide uh, air travel uh, for all of the public um, and enable them to travel guilt-free. Uh, that's one of my personal objectives, you know. <laughs> Uh, and that was one of the reasons why I joined this project, um, because uh, I want to make sure that I, uh, I have the opportunity to travel uh, around the globe, uh, and I want to do it guilt-free uh, without emissions. Amazing. So, so you and those are standard. Those are those are the same ranges. A regular, you know, regular jet-fueled aircraft flies. So there's absolutely no compromise it sounds like in in this process no not from a, um, a technical point of view now um, there, there are um, quite um, big challenges that we have to work on um, because okay. today we don't have um, hydrogen infrastructure at airports um, and we know right. that, and you mentioned you mentioned land transport with Toyota and a number of other companies already using hydrogen um, for land-based transport, uh, industries using hydrogen, um, and um, we're reminded that many of the countries in the world, uh, particularly the developed world, um, there are a lot of uh, nations who have a hydrogen strategy um, recognizing the potential of hydrogen as a clean fuel going forward, particularly with the developments that we've got around the globe uh, in renewable electricity. Now, one of the challenges is that in order to make hydrogen, um, the, um, the, the, the cleanest way to make it is electrolysis from water. Uh, water is, okay. is made of oh, H2O, uh, right. uh, so two hydrogen uh, uh, atoms uh, in every molecule of water, um, but you need a, a lot of electricity to actually release that hydrogen uh, and then capture it, liquefy it, uh, store it, transport it to where mm. you need to. So right. uh, in order to supply um, globally, uh, aviation's need for hydrogen. Let's 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 look forward forty years, um, um, because typical airplanes stay in service for about twenty-five to thirty years. So if 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 we have the right investment, we have the right research and technology, uh, and the first aircraft start to enter service in the twenty thirties, uh, as we anticipate, and there are a number of companies like Airbus who have already declared an intent to put hydrogen aircraft in service by 2035. Uh, so if, if we get motoring, um, then um, the amount of energy that would be needed by all of aviation around the sort of 2060 timeframe uh, would need about 12% more energy uh, in the world compared to today's world energy. So that's, that's a lot. Okay. Yeah, that's a, that's a large um, amount. It's a huge amount. And, and ideally, uh, you would want that electricity to be from renewable sources, whether it be from 
solar right. panels uh, from wind turbines, whether they're offshore, onshore, uh, even low carbon nuclear uh, energy. Um, and we know that there are uh, lots of people working not on not just on traditional nuclear, but um, fission uh, technology for the future. So provided these energy sources come on stream and there's no reason why they shouldn't um, because a lot of nations, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. Okay. A lot of nations have signed up to uh, net zero goals as part of the United Nations uh, drive uh, through the conference right. of parties process uh, that we're all familiar with to try and get to net zero by 2050. Um, and that really uh, uh, demands uh, that uh, the bulk of the energy provided across the globe uh, is uh, as much as possible from renewable sources. So provided that that energy is available, then there's no reason why hydrogen uh, industry cannot progress at the rate that um, we would want it to. Um, now, the, the, the other point I should make is that I mentioned uh, sustainable aviation fuels, which is where industry is today uh, in terms of providing uh, a replacement to fossil kerosene. Right. Um, to make uh, synthetic fuel uh, in quantity that the aviation sector needs, there is really one uh viable solution and that's power to liquid that's basically making synthetic kerosene yeah. but it starts off with using hydrogen uh, and then it uses carbon uh, which is captured from either the atmosphere or from industry sources and then combining the hydrogen and the carbon to make the synthetic fuel so you can see that that process is going to be a bit more uh, onerous uh, than simply making the hydrogen in the first place and using the hydrogen directly. Right. Hey, it's Ian here. So glad you're enjoying this episode of Conscious Design. If you want the full scoop on Conscious Design, what it is, how we do it, how you can do it, then check out our book. We wrote it so creative entrepreneurs like you can code social and environmental responsibility right into your brand's DNA. You can download the first chapter for free Link is in the description. Enjoy the rest of the episode. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. Is there uh, a benefit in that you can use this synthetic kerosene in an existing engine? Would you be able to put it? Yes. Or is that that is that 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 is definitely an advantage. Um, uh, and uh, a lot of these fuels uh, sometimes are termed as drop-in fuels. So this is why uh, industry um, is focused on trying to uh, deliver uh, the um, sustainable aviation fuels. And it's exactly the right thing to do in the short term. Now, we're not going to get hydrogen uh, into uh, aeroplanes uh, for at least, uh, you know, until the early 2030s. Uh, in the meantime, uh, we have made it absolutely clear that uh, the sector should be investing in both uh, sustainable aviation fuels uh, in order to achieve uh, an immediate uh, reduction in CO2 savings, sorry, achieve a reduction in CO2 emissions, uh, and uh, at the same time, uh, invest in hydrogen technology uh, for the medium to long term, because that is the ultimate solution. Got it. Is there 
when you're looking at technology, are there any big hurdles on like the engine side of, of using hydrogen? Is there still, are you creating just a, even the long, long range uh, jets, is it still an electric? Is it electric uh, motor? Is it no. using hydrogen as a fuel and, and something like a jet turbine? Yeah, so, the, so, so, so let me clarify, I should have clarified it earlier. The narrow body and the midsize, the bigger airplanes are based on gas turbines. So not electric uh, motors. Uh, so the gas turbine will provide the, uh, the power in much the same way as uh, today's um, aircraft. Um, now, okay. uh, the hydrogen uh, uh, engines uh, don't exist today, uh, but the engineering team uh, within FlyZero has done extensive work um, and we have not identified any impediment that would prevent us from um, developing uh, hydrogen combustion engines. Now, as I said earlier on, uh, the supply, the manufacture and supply of hydrogen uh, it, from an infrastructure point of view is certainly a, a, a big challenge. Um, right. And um, there will have to be a significant amount of research and technology investment put into making sure that um, uh, these aircraft have the necessary certification, the safety, um, um, credentials uh, to make sure that uh, we maintain uh, aviation's uh, safety record uh, as we go forward. Uh, so there is uh, a lot of work to be done um, on the engineering front uh, in order to actually do all of those um, uh, pieces of work um, to translate the technology concepts that we have put forward uh, and to realize those technologies with um, uh, the building blocks uh, that could then uh, actually be uh, transformed into the configurations of the aircraft that will actually uh, go into service uh, over the next decade or so. Got it. And when you're when you're looking at those vehicles, are you looking at pretty similar designs? Because I know like air Airbus has come out with some concepts at one point of you know wing bodies and, and things like that. So is, is also the aerodynamics part of how you're being able to achieve these kind of vehicles were actually working, or is or is it just the liquid hydrogen is powerful enough you don't need to redesign the plane itself? Oh, there's there's a there's quite a significant um, design uh, activity um, that has been already undertaken. So, um, just picking up uh, on the points that you've raised, quite rightly. Um, so, uh, in current aircraft, uh, most of the fuel is carried in tanks, which are um, mounted in the wings. Um, so you can see when you're sort of boarding an airplane, you can some, sometimes see a tanker. Uh, with a hose pipe connected underneath the wing, uh, <laughs> filling it up before passengers take off. Uh, now, for, for liquid hydrogen, uh, in order to uh, keep the hydrogen liquid, uh, it'll have to be uh, kept at a cryogenic temperature, very low temperature. Um, and, and therefore, the tanks need to be as spherical as possible. Um, and mm. therefore, 
these tanks are designed to be contained in the fuselage, typically at the back of the airplane, uh, in the tail, um, um, uh, in order to allow sort of passenger capacity towards the front. For the larger aircraft, um, in order to uh, make sure that the center of gravities are managed appropriately, uh, there might need to be two tanks, one uh, main one uh, at the back of the airplane and maybe uh, smaller tanks um, uh, forward of the, uh, the wings. Now, by putting the tanks in the fuselage, um, it gives you uh, uh, the um, option to make your wings much more aerodynamically efficient. So mm. these are so-called okay. dry wings. So they're smaller uh, uh, because they don't have to have tanks inside them. Um, and um, uh, they can be more aerodynamically efficient um, um, and much lighter in weight. So, so much okay. so that the lighter weight of the wings uh, more than offsets the additional weight uh, that we envisage um, in adopting the cryogenic tanks for the liquid hydrogen in the fuselage. So this is where wow. some of the benefits <laughs> actually come through. That's, that's a lot of weight because I know cryogenic systems aren't, aren't exactly lightweight. So to, <laughs> to, to reduce no, by just not. pulling the fuel out of the wings at that's yeah. uh, a lot of weight to, to pull off. But we've, we, we, we've also actually spent uh, a, a lot of, uh, I, I should have said, actually, we've had about 100 um, um, very, very highly qualified experts uh, working uh, on Fly Zero uh, in this endeavor. Amazing. Um, and these experts have been seconded by and large uh, from uh, very well-known companies uh, like um, uh, Rolls-Royce, um, Airbus, GKN, um, and uh, many other organizations that are key players in the aviation sector. Um, so uh, we haven't left any stone unturned. Uh, so um, the materials um, that are traditionally used um, for uh, cryogenics um, aren't necessarily the materials uh, we would uh, look to for the future. Uh, there are okay. more advanced materials uh, available um, and being developed today, uh, particularly in the arena of um, carbon fiber composites uh, and matrix type of um, alloys, um, which we would want oh, to bring on um, to help <clears throat> with making uh, the tank structures as light as possible. Uh, in order to carry carry the fuel. Now, the one thing I should say is um, uh, weight for weight, uh, liquid hydrogen is three times more energy dense than kerosene. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so these are the kinds of sort of, you know, pieces of data that has been fundamental uh, in our evaluations uh, in order to right. come up these concepts yeah three times so so does that mean you actually have less fuel is that in a per per weight fuel weight does that mean you can you yeah. actually it's a weight savings to use hydrogen because it yeah. 
yeah, exactly. It's three times more dense energy-wise. So that's why it's it's better to carry liquid hydrogen in gaseous form. You would have you you'd end up having a penalty by volume because you need right. to carry a much bigger volume. But if you if you carry it at a low enough temperature as a liquid, then weight for weight, hydrogen is three times more um, energy dense than uh, kerosene. That's amazing. So <laughs> I, I see why you guys have selected it as as a, the the right fuel to use. Well, this is, is there... this is why this is why um, a lot of other industries are actually looking at hydrogen. You know, hydrogen is a is a very very powerful fuel. Right, and when you're obviously the, there's you know risk with it. One of one of the risks that gets brought up right with cars is well, if you hit the tank, will it blow up? Will it have have that problem? And with with hydrogen, is that when you liquefy it, does that help mitigate any of those risks that people you know because we're people are a little bit psychologically. I don't like pressurized containers, <laughs> even though even though we sit and drive cars that are that are basically yeah. doing that. So is there is there a benefit on that side as well to using liquid hydrogen instead of a gas? So I mentioned mentioned earlier on that um, certainly um, the aviation sector has a uh, has a track record on uh, safety uh, right. and reliability. Uh, one of the reasons why um, aircraft stay so long in service is because of the reliability. Now, that reliability um, uh, needs to be developed. Uh, the materials will need to undergo the necessary testing um, uh, in order to fulfill the certification requirements, uh, which would include uh, all of the operational activities as well as uh, the uh, risk of um, any uh, um, uh, damage type of scenarios uh, that you would uh, conventionally have to cover as part of the sort of certification requirements. So all of that process will still have to be satisfied and fulfilled before uh, any of these technologies um, can, can be put into service. Got it. So I'm I'm curious. You released some reports, right? You're you're you have some findings. Is there anybody that's working, or is there interest in starting to develop prototype aircraft and be able to prove out some of this technology or build build the engines? Are you getting into that real development phase, or are you still do you still have more research that needs to be done before you, know, you get into the you know, building a prototype and, and and actually starting to test out things. So one of the uh, the key things that uh, the project has identified is a number of um, technology uh, building blocks, technology bricks okay. we call them. Um, and these technologies have been identified as key to being able to deliver um, this um, decarbonization uh, strategy for aviation. Um, and uh, those uh, technology roadmaps uh, actually detail step-by-step uh, step what needs to be done um, in order to realize those technologies. Some of those technologies are at a um, higher uh, uh, point of development than others, um, right. but quite a few of them still require substantial research uh, to be undertaken 
by a variety of expert areas uh, in order to verify um, the um, validity of those technologies and their applications. So there are comprehensive recommendations uh, that have been detailed uh, in our reports. I would urge uh, all of your listeners to uh, look at those uh, reports. We have been uh, engaging with um, uh, a huge number of stakeholders uh, in order to provide visibility uh, of those roadmaps and recommendations so that in their responsibility, they could uh, look at uh, what they could contribute to uh, uh, towards their development. So when I talk about stakeholders, these are uh, folks that uh, not only uh, are the um, current um, industry players uh, in aviation, um, but also the authorities, um, the government, the Department of Transport, uh, uh, business and industry departments. We've also been talking with uh, research um, organizations. Uh, we've been uh, extensively talking with academia, uh, where a lot of uh, advanced research tends to take place. Um, and, and, and I can tell you that uh, all of uh, the people that we've been talking to are really, really excited uh, by the, the prospects of actually supporting this work going forward. Now, the tricky bit is uh, to get enough momentum and priority so that um, there is sufficient uh, investment uh, that uh, is uh, put uh, towards uh, actually realizing these technologies so that we can um, uh, get to decarbonizing aviation as quickly as possible. The quicker we get there, uh, the more CO2 savings uh, we can deliver. We did a calculation actually on the three types of aircraft that I described earlier on. Mm -hmm. We calculated that they, if the midsize, the largest aircraft, uh, goes into service uh, uh, by around 2033, 2035, then by 2050, we could achieve uh, a saving of CO2 um, of four gigatons. And, and with the market penetration wow. rates that we would envisage uh, in the decade after, by 2060, that saving could go to 14 gigatons. So, so this is, th these are big numbers. This is, this is a huge prize uh, to right. be able to deliver. And it's a huge contrib contribution that we could make to net zero, uh, not just for the United Kingdom, uh, but uh, the world over. Um, and just to put in the context, you know, as I said, in 2019, global aviation emissions added up to around 920 million tons. So that's just shy of one gigaton. So by 2060, if we can deliver 14 gigatons saving, you know, that's 14 years worth of aviation. Think how many passengers right. can travel guilt-free with that. That is a, yeah, for 14 years of travel, that is a lot. A lot of travel <laughs> to have to have replaced it, that with that's amazing well so are you are you uk based so are you working with primarily uk or are you seeing interest from other countries and businesses outside of the uk also starting to to pool into this so the the, the project was funded by the united kingdom 
um, as part of um, the Prime Minister's 10-point plan uh, within which there is a, a program called Jet Zero. Um, and the Jet Zero Council triggered this project uh, about two years ago. Um, and okay. this is why the project actually took place. So although the UK um, actually uh, has uh, done this work, um, we recognize that aviation is a global industry um, and the supply chains are very much global. Um, so we, uh, we have uh, on that basis uh, made sure that the, the, the reportings and our findings um, are available to, to, to everybody um, to have a look at. Um, because the more we can work together and collaborate, uh, the, the sooner we can actually deliver uh, this huge uh, decarbonization uh, that we all uh, want to see. Amazing. Well, Kyle, to wrap things up here, I want to, I want to talk a little bit about long term, right? So you, you've produced these, these reports, you, you've done that work. What do you see? Because you're, you're probably not making your own engines. But what are, what are you seeing the next, we'll say till, till 2030, the next eight years, what is your, your guys' own goals to this? Is it supporting other people? Kind of what, what do you see moving forward now that, you, now that you've started producing research? So we, as I said earlier on, we're, we've been um, um, working with uh, stakeholders um, in terms of engagement. Um, and basically sharing our findings, our recommendations, uh, with the view uh, that those stakeholders uh, will uh, take the findings under their wing uh, and select the uh, pieces of work that they can contribute to uh, within uh, their activities. Uh, much more directly, the reporting that we've done uh, will be held by the uh, the UK Aerospace Technologies Institute, the ATI. Okay. That's, uh, it's on their website where uh, our reports can be found. Um, and the ATI uh, um, um, has, uh, uh, for the UK, um, uh, aviation technology uh, uh, funding, uh, which will enable certain amounts of uh, technology uh, elements to be developed. Uh, but there are oh, other awesome. aspects um, which um, clearly other stakeholders will have to take um, right. <laughs> uh, responsibility for. So things like infrastructure, um, the supply mm -hmm. of hydrogen, um, because it's going to be common to many other sectors. Um, the, the order of the day is to collaborate uh, as widely as possible in order to um, address all of the aspects that we've been able to uh, evaluate and assess. Got it. So you, you guys are going to be acting um, basically as a hub to say, here's here's the goal, here's everything needs to be done, and helping helping all the different moving pieces keep keep on track and, and move towards towards this because this is a huge huge undertaking to convert convert over to hydrogen and build build that infrastructure which we're yeah. still you know even the even here in the us we're still getting electric infrastructure in for for cars and it's been over a decade of putting yeah, putting yeah, it yeah. in and there's still yeah. places you just can't really go to 
Um, yeah. But since and those are getting fewer, but still, it's been a decade rollout um, yeah. or mo more to to get to you know eighty percent, ninety percent. And this is this is why we, from a transition point of view, um, it's very very important to recognize that whilst we're developing these um, breakthrough type of technologies, which will make a fundamental difference in the medium to long term, that we carry on uh, with the best available technology today that can uh, carry on delivering uh, some uh, CO2 savings uh, whilst um, the breakthrough stuff is being worked on. And that's why, you know, mm -hmm. the, the work on sustainable aviation fuels uh, must carry on. Yeah, well, I, I think that's a, yeah, I think that's a great point. We can't we can't uh, skip the now for the long term. That doesn't that doesn't help anybody. We gotta we gotta do all of it <laughs> yeah. kind of at once in order to hit our goals, which is absolutely amazing. Well, I really appreciate you taking time today to talk about this, talk about Fly Zero and what you guys are doing. This is exciting for me. I I've always loved aerospace and now it has a chance of being way better and, and not being a huge pollutant and then we can we can enjoy those guilt-free flights that you were talking about which i'm looking forward to so yeah i really appreciate your time and and for anybody we'll, we'll put links in the description to i'll get, get that from you and we'll put that up so anybody that wants to look at those reports we'll make sure okay. that's easy to get a hold of and for anybody that's wanting to potentially partner, start working on per certain portions of this, what would be the best way to get a hold of, of you guys? So get in touch with the Aerospace Technologies Institute uh, where the reports Perfect. are. Uh, there's contact details there um, and uh, they will be able to uh, direct uh, inquiries to the right place. Awesome. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you joining me on the show. Well, thank you for inviting me. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks.